Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good? Good to see you in church today. If you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Derek. I want to welcome you to Connect, and uh, I also want to welcome our online viewers. Can you help me welcome them, as you always do? We don't want to miss you. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Amen. We can get your worship guides out, and if you don't have them out already, uh, pull them out and we're going to get some, some uh, continuation on the series entitled David the Warrior King, the nobody who became a somebody. And in the previous weeks, uh, we've been talking about um, really a series on greatness that's inside each and every one of us. And um, David was just such a person. We unfortunately typically focus on the highlight reel of David's life, but we don't sometimes see the behind the scenes, the many lessons um, in the making of such uh, a great uh, leader, such a great warrior, such a great king. And so we've been unpacking those. Uh, this is the fourth, I believe, installment of that series. Last week we had, I was going to say a guest speaker, but he's really uh, a new uh, team member uh, to connect, Pastor Chris Mendez, our new campus pastor. Did he do a good job or what? Yes, he did. He did a great job. I'm so happy that you guys got to... Uh, meet him and uh, see him, and, and thank you. He's away this weekend, and um, it couldn't be here, but he sends his love. He'll be here uh, very soon, but uh, thank you for embracing him. You guys did a great job. He felt, he really did. He felt really warmly welcomed by his and, and uh, Mar- Mar- Mari's new family, so we're so, we're so good at that as, at Connect, and it made a big difference in his uh, transition, so he's got a gift, though, and he's going to be a blessing to many people. And we're really excited about that. But the series, um, again, is about greatness. And there's, in, in each week, I've kind of said they're like these greatness grenades that God wants to kind of explode inside each one of us. And, and today will be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to uh, focus a little bit on uh, kind of a darker time in uh, David's life. This message is entitled David on the Run. And the scene uh, here uh, is followed by the greatest battle. And if you've noticed, we've kind of avoided the most popular topic of David in every single week, which, of course, is David and Goliath. And so this particular message is right after uh, this epic battle, this is probably the greatest one-to-one, man-to-man, mano-a-mano battle in human history between David and Goliath. Better than any UFC challenge uh, that we've seen, this, this would have been it because... Uh, Goliath was nine feet seven inches tall. He was uh, a formidable champion of the Philistines. And he, David defeats him with a slingshot and a stone. And after this happens, um, he begins to live the high life. David's life is like dramatically changed right after this. And things are going really, really good. Like everything you could have ever wanted uh, as an individual uh, that some people focus on. Uh, has happened. David's risen to national prominence. Um, he is known by everybody. Loves David. I mean, there, he's. If there was such a thing at the time, he would have been on the cover of Time magazine. He would have been plastered all over Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. All the social media would have all been positive about David at this time. That's how good things were for David. And he, on top of that, he marries a princess. It's like something out of like storybook. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, it was a, a, a reward, like some of the spoils of war, uh, oftentimes you would be rewarded with, you know, a, a noble's uh, daughter, and in this case, it was the king's daughter. Uh, so he's married a princess. He's best friends with the prince 
Uh, so he has access to uh, royalty, and um, he rises in rank, you know, through uh, this battle, this one battle, and, and he continues to win battle after battle after battle, and as a result, he's promoted and promoted within the armies of Israel. He can't lose. Imagine, imagine going into battle pretty confident, knowing you can't lose because God is with you. I mean, that would feel pretty good, right? That might change you a little bit, wouldn't it? If you kind of knew you can't lose. Like if I, if, if I knew I couldn't lose playing basketball, I'd be talking some serious schmack. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and so, he, you know, anyway, we'll get to that a little bit later. But he's, he's rich. Um, he doesn't even have to pay taxes. Listen to this. For the rest of his life. Turn to your neighbor and say that would be good. <laughs> uh, so this, this, this famous individual is living the high life and he's dr- living the dream until. Everybody say until. until. And that's, that's, that's a big part of the, the message transition today. This number one hit song comes out basically. I like to put things in modern context. Let's just say there was radio back then, and, and, and these women start singing this song. Let's just say they're the Spice Girls or something like that, or the Pussycat Dolls or something. And they're coming out, and they're doing their little dance and singing. As David and Saul are coming back from battle, uh, these girls are singing this song. And one of the lyrics of the song is, you know, Saul has killed and slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his tens of thousands. And how many know that would be a great song to hear if you're David? Right? But if you're Saul, not such a great song. Not your favorite song. Not your number one hit. In fact, it hit Saul really, really hard. And uh, a spirit of jealousy comes over Saul. And everything begins to change. An extreme jealousy. And Saul, actually the Bible records this kind of paraphrase. He's like, what's next? Does he want my kingdom now? And he's and instead of being preoccupied with the success and the prosperity of Israel... Saul, from that point forward, is obsessed with destroying David. And, and, and mind you, David worked for Saul. He was a soldier in the army. He was a part-time worship leader. And we've talked about this in previous weeks. But uh, uh, David uh, is uh, going to Saul and ministering to him with his, his harp or his lyre, whichever you want to call it, his little guitar. And he's singing to him. And then one day, Saul heaves a spear at David to kill him. In fact... In this one moment, actually it was more than one moment, it actually happened two different occasions. And, and this one time it happened and David leaves. And from that point forward, David is on the run. He's on the run. In fact, let's close our eyes and pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, as we continue in this message today, I ask that you would make it relevant to every person who's here today. Every person who's within the sound of my voice. I ask that you use message simple. It's very simple. But I pray that it would be helpful and impactful to every person that's here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So David's on the run. And he goes from where he was to losing everything. Like, he loses it all. Um, first, he loses his job, if you think about it. I don't know if how you'd feel as a man or a woman if you had a full-time job and you lost your job. He had a full-time job and a part-time job. He was a soldier and he was a worship leader. He, he loses his job. He, he's, he's out of the army, you know. And, and, in fact, the army that he led is now hunting him. Uh, he's, not, he's no longer a worship leader anymore. Probably at one time thought that was a pretty cool gig. 
to go and lead the king in worship, he loses his wife, uh, Michael. Um, in fact, she actually helps him escape initially. Saul comes trying to figure out what's going on. She lies to Saul and said, actually, David tried to kill me. That's a crazy story, but marriage is suddenly over. Job, marriage. Uh, he loses his mentor, Samuel. When Samuel hears about what had happened, he says, come on, come with me. We're going to go to this particular town. They get to this particular town. The authorities are there, and they split him up, and he no longer has the counsel and, and support and advice of his mentor. And then he loses his best friend. Jonathan was his best friend, and there's a great story about that, but basically says, you know, your father will kill us both if this thing continues, and so uh, we're, we're, we'll always be friends, but we can't see each other anymore. And there's complete and total separation. And this all happens because of jealousy. Jealousy. Has anybody ever struggled with jealousy in your life? Only two people struggled with that? <laughs> You're all a bunch of liars. And... I'm not talking about, like, romantic jealousy, by the way. I'm not talking about, like, this, you know, I wish I had a girl like her. I wish I had a guy like him. I'm not talking about that kind of jealousy. I'm talking about, like, the contrast and compare jealousy. Like, you know, um, I think I deserve that. Why does he get this? Or why does she get that? And, 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 and kind of even underneath that, the heart of it is, God, you owe me. Right? Isn't jealousy kind of got a little bit of this debt debtor thing? It's like, it's like you owe me this and somebody else got what I thought I deserved. And just, just as kind of like bonus material on this whole thing, I think we have to be really careful about jealousy because it can come in. And if you think about what it did to Saul, do, we, do, do you think or do we think we are, you know, above that happening to us? Look at how far jealousy took Saul, the anointed one, how far away he got from God. And when you think about getting what we deserve, like, this is what we, this is what we probably don't want. We never want God to give us what we deserve. We, we don't want that. We never want God to be fair, by the way. We, we want God to be merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. Can I have an amen? Mercy is, not, is, is getting what we don't deserve, which would have been judgment because of our sin. You know, and, and, and when we get grace, it's giving us more than we ever could have deserved. That's what, that's what like salvation is to us. So, so we never want to get what we deserve. We never want to get to this place of jealousy. And I think kind of a, a, a way to cure that uh, jealousy, and I, I know you guys know this, but I just think as a reminder, we need to hear it, but we need to practice gratitude. We need to look around at our life and look for the things that God has done in our life and acknowledge those things. Some of you, some of you, when you're growing up, you thought there was a time in your life you were so far from God, you were so messed up in your head, you would say things like, I probably won't live past my 21st birthday. I know people who said that Probably, I bet, you, I bet you one in 20 people have said something like that. In my experience as a counselor, as a pastor, and here you are, past that. You know, maybe there's just things like, you know, I would, I would give anything if I could have a house, and now you have a house. But, but, but before you know it, time passes, and you're looking at somebody else's thing and, and somebody else's situation, and you're contrasting and comparing uh, on this level instead of contrasting and comparing on this level and what God has done for you, and we forget, and we stop becoming grateful. And so I think it's important to express our gratitude. One guy, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., Pastor Jenkins. He's an African-American pastor, and he's, 
he's really animated, and I was watching him online, and he was talking about his church, he had people in his church that were complaining to him, and, he was, and they were struggling with jealousy, and how their neighbors were getting this, and, and their neighbors were getting that, and they were whining and pining to him, and they were, they were just kind of, just in this super complaining mode, and their neighbors were getting ahead, and you know, we, we get there, and, and he was frustrated with them, and he basically said, you know, uh, to them while he was preaching, he said, if God is blessing your neighbor, get happy. If God is blessing your neighbor, get happy, because that means God must be in your neighborhood. <laughs> That'll preach. Come on, somebody. If God is blessing your neighbor, get happy, because God must be in your neighborhood. <laughs> All right, I digress. So, so David's on the run from this jealous, jealous king, and eventually what he loses after losing his best friend, his wife, his his mentor, his job, and all that kind of stuff, he loses his self-respect. See, this is what happens when we are sometimes on the run and we begin to lose things. We lose our identity. We lose who we are. Because who we are is not what we do. Who we are is who we know. And so he starts to lose that. He forgets who he is. And he actually goes, listen to this. David goes to the city of his enemy, the city of Gath. G-A-T-H, the city like of the Klingons. I always think of the Philistines and the Klingons from Star Trek like being the same. And, 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 um, and so he goes to where Goliath came from and his enemy and the king, Akish, uh, the king of Gath is there. And he goes before the king. They bring him in because everybody knows who David is, by the way. He's a total celebrity. Everybody knows who he is. And he comes in and he basically thinks, I'm... I've been completely rejected from my own people. Uh, they don't want to have anything to do with me. No one cares for me. No one is concerned about me. I'm a warrior, though, and I don't lose. So I'm going to go join my enemy. And so they come, he comes before them, and he offers his services. And King Akish is entertaining this, but his men say to him, You do not want to entertain this. This man, David, is dangerous. David sees what's going on. And he, and, he, and he observes uh, the interactions, and all of a sudden, he, he starts acting like, he's like, I, I'm, I'm done if I don't do something. And so he starts to act like a crazy man. And he starts clawing on the gates and the doors, and he starts, uh, like, writhing and, 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 and seething and, and, and drooling all over his beard and just literally just totally acting like a crazy man. And the king's watching this, and he basically looks at David, and he looks at him and he says, I don't want to have some wacko in my court. Get him out of there. And David gets out, and once again, David is on the run. And he ends up in a cave alone. And some of us, I think, look at the story and we think of the physicality of it, but we don't think of how it applies to us. Some of us, what happens is we lose what we had and we find ourselves in a dark place. You had something. You, you uh, got to a certain level in your life. You attained certain things in your life. You acquired and aspired to certain things and you got there and then all of a sudden you lost it all and you find yourself in a dark place. And that's where David is. David is in a dark place. But how many know that you can be in a dark place and God can show you how to see in dark places? God can give you eyes to see in dark places. And sometimes I think you see things better in darkness with light shining right on it. In other words, when it's kind of like muddy light versus if everything's dark and a light comes on. How many know you see that really clearly, right? 
So God can show you some things in the dark. He can help you more or less kind of see in the dark. And so uh, a lot happens, I believe, in the cave for David, the cave of Adullam. And in just a few moments, we're going to read some of the raw emotion of David. As we read uh, some of the Psalms, we're going to focus on some key scriptures. But before I go there, um, let me ask you a question. Why, and don't answer this out loud, but just think about this. Why would God allow David to gain everything only to lose everything? That's what really hit me when I was preparing this message is he got all of that. And then all of it was taken away. Isn't that crazy? Like, he was top of the world. He was the man. He, was, he would have been the guy at halftime of the Super Bowl. He would have been that guy. He would have been the guy you picked. He would have been Kevin Hart in every movie <laughs> that is known to man. <clears throat> And before I say anything about that, I was thinking about some people in my life. And sometimes I think people think I'm thinking about people and I'm not thinking about people. And it's just God's talking to you. But I'm just saying, I'm not thinking about anybody in this particular in this room, but I've been thinking about people when I was preparing this message. And I was thinking about people that I love and they went through a really dark place. They were in a cave for a while. And God, by his grace, pulled them out of that cave and they were restored. They regained. They, they got back everything they lost. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You have people like that in your life. You may be people like that right now. And I would just say to you as your pastor, be careful. Be careful and be grateful and do not forget where you came from. Do not forget who got you out of that place. Because here's what happens. In times of success, here's the big idea. Write this down if you're taking notes. In times of success, if we're not careful, we will rely on and trust in the blessings instead of the one who blesses. I want you to get that because I don't think you got that because you didn't amen real loud. If you, in times of, you know, success, what happens is if you're not careful, you'll rely on the blessings instead of the one who blesses. That's what can happen in your life. You need to get that into your spirit because you could be in a fat cat place right now. You could be in the calendar of your life, the chronology of your life. You could be being blessed. Praise God. I hope you're blessed. I want you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. Remember, by the way, you're blessed to be a blessing, not to just be a fat cat. Genesis 12, 2 tells us we're supposed to be conduits as Christians where it just comes uh, th through us. God's not trying to get something to you. He's always trying to get something through you. Can I have an amen? amen. But you're blessed to be a blessing. And what, what happens is if we're focusing on the blessings, you know what happens is you get proud. You start playing for the wrong team. And you think there's an I in team. And me, myself, and I, and the me monster starts taking over, and you start pounding your chest like King Kong, like you are king of the world, and you're not. And I'm not, and we forget. And the Bible says in James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, all right, it says basically uh, that God opposes what? The proud. In other words, he is going to be against anybody on that team. He will, I don't want God to oppose me. But what does he do? He shows more favor to the what? To the humble. You should circle, underline those two words, proud and humble. They're in direct contrast to one another. One God is directly opposed to and one God is directly for and blesses. So why would God allow something like this to happen? I think about times in my life where 
you know, I wish I could tell you some of the stories, but I can remember one situation uh, where I'm just like, I pulled over on the side of the road, and, and things aren't going real good, and I'm like, why is all this happening to me? And, and, I, and I remember actually telling God, I'm trying to spend time with you right now. By the way, and I'm a pastor trying to spend time with you, God. And everything's not going so great, and I'm mad, and I'm really mad. And, and in the middle of all that, <clears throat> I feel like God was speaking to me. You know, as I'm saying to him, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, and what I kept hearing was, I'm teaching you something. I'm trying to prepare you for something. And I think God allows something to happen to David because he forgot the one who blesses. He was focused on the blessings. And God uh, allowed this to happen to prepare David. Preparation might be the answer. In order for that to happen, for you to be prepared for what is and what is to come so God can use you more and so we don't forget, uh, sometimes God will, will break us. I think sometimes we have to be broken. I don't, I don't think sometimes. I think all the time we have to be broken for God to use us. And, and, and we can embrace that or we can resist that. I think God is reminding David, David, you came from nothing. You were a nobody in a valley just forgotten by everyone, and you became a somebody. You were a nobody. Let's, you, were no, you were nothing. Let's go back there. Let's go back there. Let's never forget, David. It's all about me. This is in your notes, but humility, not pride, by the way, is the chief virtue of the Christian life. Humility. Humility. And see, what God really wants us to see is the one who blesses, not just the blessing. So sometimes he uses life to teach us, to break us. And so when, just think about this. My dad was an atheist. I, I, I know people who profess to be atheists. But even, when, when, life, when t- life is tough and times are bad, even an atheist prays, just in case they're wrong. <laughs> but, but when times are bad, sometimes... Uh, we're, 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 we're quick to pray as believers, but what about when times are good? What about when there's success and when there's blessing and we forget as saints it's all about him? And I would just say to me, to you, be careful. Be careful. I hope this message helps you trust God, not just in difficult times, but also in success. In success. But how do we survive when times are tough? David loses everything. He's suffering. He's struggling. Uh, Things are uh, really bad. And so you may want to just, if things are good for you, great. Put these notes close to your bedside table, somewhere nearby, because you're going to need those, uh, because you will face difficult times. I was with a pastor this last week. His name is Josh, a friend from Orlando, a pastor's there, and he has a child with special needs. We're having a very, and pastors, when they get together, they have really edgy conversations. We're having a conversation about whether God allows something like that to happen or he causes it. Difficult conversation, difficult questions. Is it the sovereignty of God or is it, you know, the curse of the world and a result of man's sin? And I think we all have a particular bent right away. And, you know, we went back and forth for a little while about that. And, 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 and the reality is uh, we all suffer from time to time, Right? It can't be avoided. And it's so typical for man, but we want to focus on what we believe instead of what we do in that situation. I want to know the answer more than how do I overcome what is an eventuality and inevitability that we'll all suffer 
and how are we going to handle that? So I want to focus more on what do we do when we struggle? What do we do when there is suffering in our life? And I researched um, Psalms. By the way, the book of Psalms, well, these wisdom books, Psalms, Proverbs, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes, these things, they're, uh, they're not always written in chronological order. Psalms is not written in chronological order. But when David was in this cave, he wrote three Psalms while he was in the cave. And so I researched the order of those particular Psalms. It was Psalm uh, uh, 140, uh, 2, 57, and 34. And we're going to look at those because I want you to see what was the process he was going through while he was on the run in a struggle. And here's what I found, and I hope these texts kind of minister to you. Here's some kind of lessons from the cave. Are you ready for this? You guys enjoying this? Anybody? Okay. So the first thing that we learn is when we're on the run, we're struggling, we're hurting, we learn that we need to weep. Number one, weep. 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 We have to, in other words, what I mean by that is to get through it, overcome it, you got to get honest with God. You got to get honest with God. You got to get honest with yourself. And by the way, it's okay to cry. You know why? Because God, may, God created you to be able to do that, just so you know. And you can't handle everything that you're dealing with. But, but someone else can, but more importantly, God can. And so once in a while, this is just a challenge. When's the last time you had a good cry? When's the last time you had a good cry? Just last week, uh, last, last Friday, my, my oldest daughter got married. It was a big deal in, in the Fry household. And uh, when you have a church our size, you can't invite everybody to the wedding, so please understand. Um, but it was special. And I can remember months before, everybody kept coming up to me, especially as we got closer. Pastor, 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 how are you going to do it? I heard you doing the wedding. I heard so I walked my daughter down the aisle, and I officiated the wedding, which is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, but she wanted that. She wanted that. So it was just all about her. Whatever she wanted, Daddy would do. But in my, in my, in my mind... My heart was yes. In my mind, I was like, holy cazoli, like, because you don't want to make it about you, right? But I'm like, how am I going to hold this together? And everybody's asked me that question. And I just wanted to say, I don't know how I'm going to hold it together. I have no idea. But I began to just prepare my heart and kind of, you know, get ready for that because I didn't want, I wanted to be all about, be about my little, my little doll there. And so uh, sure enough, the, the, you know, the day comes and, and the ceremony, and I didn't shed a tear. Anybody that was there, I didn't shed a tear during the ceremony. Now, when the toast came, <laughs> that was later in the reception, uh, I shed a few tears. And if I'm honest, I shed many tears after that, this whole, this whole last week. Just a second. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. I remember, you know, in the ceremony, in her whole life, it was my job as a father was to hold my tears and my fears for her and just take care of my baby girl. And I remember looking at my, my son now, Wilkes, and saying, that's what I did my whole life. I held back my tears and my fears and took care of my baby girl. Now, I don't have to hold back my tears and my fears because you're going to take care of my baby girl. You're number one now to her. And that was healthy. And, and after that, I'm telling stories to, to some of my friends, and I couldn't even get through the story. I, I can't even get through this story right now without getting teary about it. But I transferred something when I could cry. I released responsibility. I released weight. 
when I did that. The same thing happens when you get a good cry with God. You get it, you weep to God. You let him know what's really going on. You express openly your pain and your frustrations to God. And when you're doing that, by the way, God doesn't think, really? Oh, I didn't know that. It's not what happens. Oh, what a surprise. No, and, and by the way, that's not the point. Of course he knows. Why would I do that? He knows already. Because he wants you to tell him. He wants you to get it out. He wants to interact with you. He's about relationship. And he wants to talk with you. And he wants you to release that. It's just the way he created you. He created you as an interdependent being. Not an independent being. You just handle it all by yourself. In Psalm 142, he's in the cave and he says, verse 1, I cry aloud to the Lord. Your translation may say something different, but I cry aloud. He didn't cry quietly. He didn't cry, you know, in his head. He cried aloud. He says, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour up before him my complaints. I pour them out. One translation says like a pitcher in Psalm 62. And I tell him all my troubles. Are you doing that? When you're in your cave, so you want to get healthy, you want to get through your struggles, you got to tell him. Cry it out. That's one of the reasons I think I'm sort of emotionally healthy, and I say sort of because I'm an emotional infant in many areas of my life, and in some areas where I think I'm a pretty even keel personality and I don't get shook too bad because I watched my dad, I listened to my dad pray in the basement, and he cried. He's a grown man down there crying to God. After a while, I was like, there must be something to it. When's the last time you cried? And when my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me, God. Look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. David's alone. He's like, hey, is anybody listening? Does anybody care? Is anybody up there? Is anybody on the phone? And I think this is telling me that we need to be real with God if we're going to be real with people. When people aren't real with people, it's because they're not real with God. And we are not as, Christians are not Stoics. We're not Stoics. One of the most um, necessary values of the Christian experience is authenticity. It's just being real. And I, and I, and I think sometimes connect, we need an upgrade in being real. If you're in a small group, listen right now, you're, if you're not in a small group, you need to get in a small group. If you're in a small group and you're a small group leader, be real. Be authentic. Don't be fake and phony. If you're having a bad day, don't be like, bless God, I'm having the greatest day in my life. No, you're not. You know, be honest. Now, I'm not saying exalt the, you know, the enemy in your life and the enemy's work in your life. But again, it's just like healing. We don't deny feelings. We don't deny the facts. We just exalt faith. I'm having a rough day, but I'm overcoming in Jesus' name. I'm having a rough, I'm having a rough day right now. We had a rough week. Our family had a rough week. But I'm, I'm, I'm overcomer in Jesus' name. I'm still, gonna, I'm still gonna preach. I'm still gonna do what I do. I'm still, God's still gonna bless it. Amen? Amen. Number two, trust, trust. It always, when it comes to trust, you're going to see this process while David's in the cave. It always comes down to a choice. Watch what David does. He goes in this next psalm. Again, these are psalms written in chronological order within the cave of Adullam. And he goes, all of a sudden he goes from complaining, being real, and weeping before God. And he makes this choice to trust. 
It always is going to come down to a choice. If you want to get out of the cave in the dark places in your life, I've counseled people. And I've given them every nugget I got, every wise notion I have. At the end of the day, you're going to have to make a choice to forgive him, to forgive her, to release this, to release that, to decide to do this and not do that. It's always going to come down to a choice. And if you don't do that, you cannot move forward. It's always a choice. Why is it a choice? Because you never feel like doing it. I didn't feel like preaching this morning. Can I be honest? I didn't feel like it. Now I'm, I'm happy that I did it. Why? Because decisions lead and feelings follow. If I went by my feelings, there'd probably be a few other weeks I didn't want to be here. Okay? It's a choice. Psalm 142 verse 5 says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. What? You just said a few seconds ago you couldn't find refuge anywhere. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. I'm in prison. I'm in a cave. Then the righteous, what will happen when I do that? Then then people will gather around me because of your goodness to me. He then writes the next psalm and says, I don't know if this is in your notes, but it was supposed to be if I missed it. Psalm 57, verse 1, it says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So what do you do when you're in that struggle? What do you do when you're in that pain? You take refuge in the wings of God. You get as close to him as you possibly can. Most people run from God when they're in a bad place. We're supposed to run to him when we're in a rough place, in a bad place. And I cry out to the Lord, my most high God, who vindicates me. He, look at it. He sends, after you do that, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. He's going to deal with my enemies. And God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. So what happens is in the middle of this trial, something occurs. While in this cave of Adullam, what, what we can learn from the story, if you read in a chronological Bible, you can see that simultaneously while he's in this cave of Adullam, God sends his family to him and friends to him. In fact, in 1 Samuel 22, it's in your notes. Look what happens. David's family hears about what's going on with David and says, verse 1 and 2, David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So while he's alone, crying out to God, weeping, makes a choice to trust in God, and then the Bible says God from heaven sends people to save him. So while he's alone in a cave, simultaneously God's sending help. Is that cool or what? Right? And then he goes on to say God sends others. He sent, in verse 2 it says, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. So you might say, well, I don't want those kind of people to gather around me. Like when I'm in a cave and I'm in a dark place, please don't send the busted, broke, and bent out of shape people to me. Can you send me some real help? Right? But I'm going to get to that in just a second because people are in distress. Those are people who have extreme anxiety and sorrow and pain just like you. People who are in debt, they got no coin to finish the calendar. They got no, they're broke and they're busted, and they're in debt. You know what broke people are. Discontented people are people who are extremely dissatisfied with their circumstances. That's, you, know what, you know what we call those people? The church. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you. <laughs> Come on, both sides. Second choice, that's talking about you. The description that God uses for all David's peeps that he brings to help him are discontented, in debt, distressed people. This is basically your small group. 
right now. Why? 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 Why is it? Because church is not a church for perfect people. It's not a church for perfect people. If, if you think you got it all going on right now and everything's going okay for you and you got it all worked out and all that kind of stuff, then, then you're either deceived or just irritating. And so this is not the right church for you then because this, this is the perfect church for imperfect people. And if you want a perfect church, you should go there. But if you do, be careful because you might mess it up because you ain't perfect, right? But church is a place, listen, where we confess our pains and our problems and our issues and our sins. The Bible tells us that. James tells us that. Other places tell us that. We're not supposed to conceal but reveal and confess and get it out and, and move on and move forward together. And, and we do that and it's called, we, my dad used to t- did a message in this a long time, but it's called body ministry. And before you misunderstand that, the church is referred to as a body in 1 Corinthians. It has different parts. If the only ministry that's taking place is the mouth to, uh, to the body, then it's messed up. That means there's supposed to be hands that do it and feet that do it, and there's a heart that's pumping and different organs that play that sometimes you can't even see. They all, we're supposed to minister to each other. And by the way, all those parts aren't perfect. All those parts aren't perfect. Some of them are messed up too. I, I start, I'm starting a group at the end of this month for some of the pastors that I, that I mentor. And pastors, just so you know, they, they don't have it all together. Like, and the pressure that's on some of them, I'm just like, gosh, these guys think they have to have it all together. And, and, but, but for me, I'm feeling the, 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 the capacity issues of they all think I'm the answer. And then I'm going to somebody else, and I'm thinking they're the answer. And, and this thing just perpetuates. But the truth is, it's, you're not supposed to just go to the perfect person for the perfect answer. You actually go to imperfect people to, and together minister to each other. Sometimes we're looking, sometimes there's people in this audience who are looking, well, if I could just talk to that dude and get the, an answer, it would all go away. When, meanwhile, there's somebody right next to you, in front of you, and behind you that actually in that context could minister to that need and you're missing it. Sometimes it's right under your nose. Sometimes the person who can help you is closer than you think and it's not how you think that you're going to get helped. Mm. What are you talking about? It's the same way in marriage. So you think, you think the right answer is going to fix it? Listen, if I tried to answer the problems that my wife presented and just fix those, let me tell you, in 25 years of marriage, how well that's gone for me. Not very well. She doesn't need me to answer it. She just wants me to be there, to listen, to identify, to connect with her, to even carry sometimes a little bit of the weight, sometimes just emotionally, not even physically, nothing. And in the process of that, she's like, I feel better. And I'm like, I didn't say anything. (laughs) Just sat here and just listened and and listened. (laughs) And listened. And torture, <laughs> desperately trying to solve this problem. But God sends David a support group, by the way, and none of them are perfect, and they make David the leader, and he becomes like a Robin Hood to them. It's like a, it's like a recovery group. Listen, it is. How is it different than a recovery group? And this is, what I don't, this is, what, this is why people don't recover sometimes, is because they don't see it for what it really is, number one. And that in the process of accepting that assignment, of coming together and gathering together, he takes this jacked up group of 400 people, and later they're jacked. 
Do you know what I mean by that? I mean the three mighty men, the warriors that are known as the most elite warriors in the Bible came out of that jacked up group. How? It was a process. It was, as they came together, something more began to happen in that process. And God wants that for you and me. And so you have, to, you have to get honest and sometimes weep somewhere with someone. Sometimes you have to make that decision to trust and, 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 and just make that choice. You need to make that choice. And, I, and, and sometimes I think people are like, I don't need anybody. And guys are like this. I can't speak to women. I can speak more so to men, but, but uh, I don't need any help. And I would just say, you are wrong. You're not just wrong. You're stupid. I'm just going to tell you that right out. Bible says that. You're brutish. You're like a brutish animal. Can't listen. How you like that at church? Come on. I'm going to take an offering. I was at this thing last week, this pastor's thing last week. I was in Montana. I was on an Indian reservation, 300,000 acre Indian reservation. And as far as you can see, land. And if the guide that brought us out there, something happened to him, I would still be there. There's no way to find it or get out. GPS doesn't work, the whole thing. And so, but they bring all these pastors together, these high-capacity leaders from all over the country. And this organization was amazing. I'm so blessed by it. It's called the Refuge Foundation. But there are private Christian leaders that said, what is the best way we can use our grace, our, our gift, which is giving, and help the most people? I'm going to take care of shepherds who take care of people and make sure they don't get burned out and give them an escape. And I'm going to try to accelerate relationship development by getting them all together to hunt something, kill something, compete about something, shoot something. And after like three days of that craziness, and it was crazy, all these guys start opening up about stuff. It just, and one guy said, I was here four years ago, suicidal, pastor, by the way, leading a 5,000-member church. I wanted to quit. I, was, I, I thought it was over, and this week saved my life. By just talking, by just getting it out, by just weeping. And he cried as he shared, and, and of course now he's all into it, and he does it every single year. But basically at the end of the day, he says it takes courage to open up, and he says it's cowardly not to ask for help. And so when we come together as a church, the goal is not just go to a small group. That's just the entry point. It's not the end point. The goal is to get inside that or get in community, get a couple of people inside that group that you do life with, that you open up with. And of course, we need to do that with God before we're going to do it with anybody else so that we can expose the realities of our life, the financial problems we're having, the marriage problems we're having, the people issues we're having, the purpose problems we're having, the frustrations that are in our life. And if you don't have any, you might be there like, I don't have anybody. And I would just say, do something about it then. Do something about it. Well, how? What do I do? I mean, seriously? Sometimes I, I'm amazed, like it's staring you in the face. Like, get in a family. Maybe you're not a part of a church family. Get in a family. Today, you can become a part of, first step is how to become a part of a spiritual family. I know people that are in this room, that will be in the next two services, that aren't here because they're away for the weekend, that would say, if I wasn't a part of this church, I'd be dead. My marriage would be dead. My spiritual life would be dead. I might even be physically dead because I could have done something stupid just because they became a part of something that was bigger or better than where they were by themselves. Maybe you need some new friends. Just, and, and sometimes you just need a, you need a cast a fleece. You need new friends. You need your family. You've you got to cast a fleece out there. You just throw, you just throw out an opportunity. See if they reciprocate. See if they respond. 
See what happens. Do it a lot. You want to, be a, you want to have friends? Be a friend. Throw some fleeces out there. Is anybody okay out there? Everybody okay? And, and, and then people say, you know, sometimes you, need, sometimes you need a spiritual mother and you need a spiritual father. And I have a very familial lens that I look through. We, we had my son-in-law live with us. We kicked my daughter out. He came from Alabama, so he needed to be decompressed from all of that southern crap. And, uh, <laughs> just kidding. So my daughter has a lot of relationships, so she moved out because it would be easier for her, and he came into our family and lived with us for six months. And in the process, listen, through the lens of family, he established healthy friendships, right? So you need family. You need a spiritual family. You might need a kind of a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad because all of our families are dysfunctional. All of them. All your families are jacked up. You all need help with that. I need help with that. So how do you get that? You say, oh, can you be my dad? No. Can you be my mom? If people do that, run. I give you permission to run to a cave. Don't come out. But, but what you could do to get that is you serve a person that you think could be that to you. Serve that mom. Serve that spiritual father. Watch what happens. Just watch what happens. That's free. And if you're really in bad shape, fill out a connection card and let somebody know so we can follow up with you and meet with you in person. You get more than this public beating. And so, all right. Number three, praise. I'm going to have uh, David and Deej come. Praise. Everybody still with me? This is where you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Praise means to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Everybody say praise. praise. This is something that has saved my life is if you see, you see, what happens when you praise is you stop looking at your big problem and you start looking at a great big God. We used to sing this song with the kids, he's a great big God, and then we used to do this little thing, and he's a little bitty devil. <laughs> I sing my praise to a great big God. And so what happens is when you praise, you can't help but see your problem shrink and God get bigger. What happens? Perspective change. Most of our problems are perspective problems. They're not actually problems. And so you and I must realize that whatever you focus on, you move towards. Whatever you focus on, you move towards. You should write that down. Whatever you focus on, you should, you'll move towards. David was a master at this. And in Psalm 57, he says this. He says, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. A few minutes ago, he was freaking out. But now he's like, I'm on, so I'm on solid ground right now. I've, I, because he changed his focus, his direction. And he says, I will sing and make music. Then he says, awake my soul. By the way, who's he talking to? Himself. He's talking to himself. He's not having a Tom Hanks, you know, talking to a volleyball moment, castaway moment. By the way, don't talk to volleyballs. Talk to God. Talk to people, okay? But he's basically saying, uh, you know... <laughs> He didn't feel like doing it, but he did it. He said, awake, my soul. Awake. Feelings follow, decisions lead. And if you think you're sinking, if you think you're in a dark place, and I don't know what to do, and, and I, would just, I would just I just say, you got to do something. And what's the thing you do? Praise. What do you do when you feel like that? Praise. Praise God. Praise God. 
and, and just begin to, to sing about the goodness of God, the wonders of God, the glories of God in your life. And, and maybe you need to put on some headphones and get in your room and close the door and begin to praise God. By the way, close your door because nobody wants to hear that. And uh, that's why we have loud music here at church so that when you are praising, we don't have to hear you. And uh, I'm just kidding. But he says, I will praise you. Among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. Look at this verse. Everybody with me? It says, for great is your love, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, what? Reaches to the sky. How many remember the, the, the band Third Day? Remember the band Third Day? Remember that? Your love, oh Lord. Remember that? Reaches to the heavens. No, how many remember the song? Your faithfulness to the sky your righteousness is like the mighty mountains yeah your justice your justice flows like the ocean's tide let's go to the chorus I'll lift my voice and I will lift my voice I will find my strength. I will find my strength in the shadow of your peace. Your love, your love reaches to the heavens. Your justice flows like the ocean's tide. Your righteousness. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice flows like the See, I just make up words, say it at the same time if I need to. One more time, I'll lift my voice. I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. Now find my strength. I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. And then he goes on to read from Psalm 34. He says, I will extol. I will extol. You know what that means, everybody? It means to lift up. It means to lift up. I'll extol the Lord at all times. By the way, this is why we raise our hands sometimes in church. Because we're lifting him up. Well, PD, I don't raise my hands in church. Some of you guys don't raise your hands in church. Okay. Why don't you do that? I feel stupid. I hear a Michael Jackson song in the background. I always feel like somebody's watching me. No, nobody's watching you, but God. The only person watching you is God, and he's wanting to know, are you going to lift him up? Are you going to lift yourself up? The thing is, when you lift him up, it will lift you up. I will extol at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You can keep playing that. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. 
He's basically saying, if you're going through something, he's like, listen up. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Now he starts to testify. He's getting really worked up. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Look at those, look to those who are radiant. Look, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So we weep, we trust, and we're strengthened when we praise. And number four, repent. Everybody say repent. Sometimes you're not getting your breakthrough because you're doing a 360, you're not doing a 180. You say sorry, and you go right back to the same thing you did before. So, so why do, why do, how do I deal with my struggles? How do I deal with the, this, this place in the cave? you gotta do a, you got to do a 180. Is there anything in your life that's not in accordance with his word or his will? And you repent for that. Psalm 34, he says this. This is the next thing he wrote. Come, my children. He's not talking about all his offspring. He's talking about those that follow him. Listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, by the way, following God is not just right, it's actually intelligent. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, when we were worshiping just a second ago, that is just a pinky touch because I felt the presence of God when we did that. But what happens is when you practice these things, then the fifth thing happens. You receive hope. Put that in your notes. Hope. You can live 40 days without food. You can live, you know, several days without water. But you can't live a minute without hope. You can't. But if you practice these things, God will give you hope. And that hope comes in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them he delivers them from all their troubles the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit the righteous person not because of what they've done may have many troubles in fact you should say they will have many troubles but everybody say but but the Lord everybody say the Lord delivers them out of them all so awesome and so what happens is you receive hope when you practice these different things it's in God's uh, it's, it's in God's recipe that you receive it's in the presence of God that you can receive the perspective of God in the process and and I don't know about you but sometimes I had a guy come to me and share a really dark thing with me uh, last week and uh, it busted me up I I got in my car I turned on some worship music and I just began to worship because I didn't know what to do and I cried and I just decided that I'm just going to trust God for him. And I just began to praise. Are you guys with me? I just began to praise God. And, and I just, Lord, if there's anything I'm missing, just show it to me. And just like that, God just began to minister to me in those moments. The presence of God came over me. I felt a change in my heart. And when you face something that is overwhelming and just kind of taking you over, it's important once in a while that you follow this process. And, and because the Bible says in the presence, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can you guys put your notes away? I'm going to pray for you as we conclude. Maybe you're here today and when you get that call or when you have that fall in your life, you are overwhelmed and you are struggling and you are suffering in the process and you find yourself needing to run or having to run or you might find yourself alone in a cave God is there to shed light on those dark places to give you a process a path 
to the fullness of joy. But first, it comes from knowing Jesus. It comes in relationship with God. And if you've never released your faith from trusting in you to trusting in God and you want to do that, I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you, would you say yes to God? I want to trust Jesus with my faith. I don't want to trust in me. I want to trust in Jesus so that when I have a trouble, I've got an anchor. If that's you and you just want to make sure that Jesus is your anchor, just say yes to God. You can just raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to be sure of that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just pray this with me then. And church, join them. Just say, Jesus, I make you my anchor. I put my trust and place my trust in you. May may God, the source of hope, fill me today with joy and peace through faith in him. And this is what the Bible says after that, sir, man, boy, or girl. Then hope will flow through you. And I pray in Jesus' name that as you go home today, that hope flow through you. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You can give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank you.